Hey, you're dry. That's good. You made it in. Um, welcome today. We're, we're really glad that you're here. Um, my first full-time youth pastor job was in a small mountain community uh, in Southern California. And uh, with the mountains came hundreds of squirrels. There were squirrels everywhere. And then because they'd gone in and you know, developed the area mountain roads every, everywhere, there were tons of dead squirrels, roadkill squirrels, pretty much everywhere that, that we drove. Um, I, I tell you that just as a preface that will be an important key thing to remember uh, as I finish the rest of this story. Three boys in my youth group came in to me and they all came in with the same problem. And the problem was they all had the crush on the same girl. And they didn't know how to communicate their affections toward her. And they said, Ron, what do we do? I said, well, you, you need to speak her love language. And they all went, whoa, what, what's that? Like they had never heard love language before. Their only love language as a high school boy is <laughs> And so I was like, you gotta speak her love language. And then they said, well, what, what's, what's a girl's love language? And I said, you gotta know that the primary love language of every single girl is fear. And they went, what? I said, no, really. Every single girl loves to be scared to death. <laughs> if you scare her and then you swoop in and save her, oh, wow, I mean, that's it. She is gonna be with you for the rest of your life. And I had them right there. They're like, really? Okay, cool, what do, what do we do? And I said, well, well, what girl is it? And they told me, and I said, oh, yeah, I got an idea. She hates squirrels, doesn't she? And they went, yeah, yeah. I said, I've got an idea. Let, let's, let's, let's go do this. We had some bonding time as the youth pastor and three students in my youth group. We went out and collected about 60 dead squirrels off the road. We put them in a, in a bag and then kept throwing them in the trunk. And it, it was awesome. I mean, you'd pull the car up. It was like in the middle of the lane. The guys would jump out and scrape it off with a little trowel that we had and then dump it in the back of the, the, the bag in the trunk. And um, we, we saved them um, for, for a couple more days just so they were, you know, had a nice little ripe sense to them. And, uh, and then we went to her house one night. We went to the girl's house to speak her love language. And so we, we crept up with a bag of, of dead squirrels and um, first we went up to her bedroom window and we began to position about 30 of the squirrels around her bedroom window all peeking in, some kind of <laughs> looking like they're peering others. Others we, ah, this whole thing. Um, we had one that we just kind of did this with and uh, it was just, it was artistic actually. and. One, we tried to make it smile a little bit, which was hard because like the whole side of its face wasn't even there. So that just added to the, the moment. And then we crept around to her front porch. She had a big eave over her front porch. We had one squirrel that had been just run over flat and all four legs were just prostrate and it was stiff. And so we, we tied some string around its neck. We threw it up over the eave and tied the other end to her doorknob. And uh, then we went to her car. Mountain community, you don't lock your doors or anything. And so we, we went in, we got inside her car, we positioned one squir squirrel in the passenger seat, kind of looking up cute with a little, you know, squirrel grin up at the driver's seat. 
we attached two squirrels to her wiper blades. We put two on the roof of the car. And then much like when you get married and you, and you put the cans hanging out the back, we took about 20 squirrels and, and, and ran some fishing line heavy gauge to their front paws out the back of her car. We were now set. We went over to her window and we hid behind a bush. And it's maybe 11 o'clock at night and we're pretty sure she's in there and, and asleep. And we start throwing little pebbles at her, her window. Chink, chink, over and over. Finally, the light comes on and we're like, oh, yes, here it goes. This is going to be so good. We can't wait. The light comes on and she throws the curtains open. To her horror, she sees all of these squirrels, like peering in through her window. She screams, which her love language, and runs to the front door because she saw us screaming and laughing and scurrying away. She runs to her front door to come out and chase us. As she grabs her front door, pulls it up, it lifts the dead prostrate squirrel up off the ground. She love languages again. She runs past it, goes right up to her car because we jumped in mine and start to peel off and take out. As she jumps in her car and fires up the engine, the wiper blades start to go back and forth with two squirrels, hairs just flying everywhere. She goes down her steep driveway, the squirrels on the roof slide down over her windshield, love language, one more time, and she peels out. It really wasn't until the next day um, where it's a little bit lighter that uh, she was driving along, looked in her rear view mirror and saw 20 little squirrels trying to catch up to her behind her. <laughs> Needless to say, they did not get the girl, but I had a really good time. I was pretty sure I was going to lose my salvation over that. I was pretty sure God was just looking down, going, look at this idiot. He's, I'm paying him, and he's doing this. This is the spiritual formation of our youth. This is ridiculous. Give me your salvation back, just on that accord. But it begs an interesting question. Can you lose your salvation or are you eternally secure in your relationship with God? Now this is a debate that has raged in the church for a very long time. You will find some verses with some relatively compelling evidence on both sides. But I have come to believe that the, the weight of evidence lands on the side that says you are eternally secure in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have stepped into a relationship with him, if you have truly tasted of him, that you are locked in for eternity as a son or daughter of his. I'm so thankful for verses like Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. It says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor squirrels, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that. The grace of our God is so huge, it's so powerful. that it's able to withstand pretty much anything. And this, this is 
this is what it made me think of. If we're able to lose our salvation, then it would be something like this. It would be like when you step into a relationship with Jesus, he hands you a stack of get out of sin free cards. And then when you tell a lie, you lose one. When you cheat, you lose one. When you lust, you lose one. When you don't come to church, you lose one. Whatever it is, you just, or you know, you, there's a couple of them that are, that are really big. Um, some of you know that I, I screamed at a deaf woman one time. That has to be worth like 20 cards right there. Um, the whole squirrel thing was probably another 20. So every time that we sin, then you gotta you know, give back to Jesus these get out of sin free cards and the pile gets lesser and lesser. I mean, especially for those of you that are a little bit older, I mean, you're probably getting close to the end of your stack. <laughs> or you have just one of those, I mean, where you, you really, really blow it. You have something that is devastating to your life, maybe to the life of your family. And in those moments, it's not one card, it's like half your stack. And then you're done. And then what happens when you're done? Jesus comes to you and goes, I'm sorry, we are revoking your membership. You have just lost your salvation. The problem is I can't find anywhere in scripture that says that if you do this sin, you're done. If you do this sin, whatever it is, this many times, you're done. But I do find a lot of evidence on the other side that just says the mercy of God and the grace of God is so huge that it is beyond our comprehension. There is a, there's a passage in scripture that I would just like to walk us through today. It's a story that might be familiar to a lot of you, but to me it paints such a beautiful picture of this eternally secure relationship that we have with God. It's found in the book of Luke. So if you have your Bible this morning, if you would turn there with me, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, if you don't have a Bible this morning, it'll be up on the screens. But Jesus is talking here and Jesus himself is telling this story and the audience that he has, just so you get the context, the group of people that are sitting there listening to him are Pharisees, these ultra-religious people that think they've got it all figured out and that probably that their ability to be in relationship with God is dependent on their ability to follow the right things and avoid the wrong things. Then you've got these other people that are sinners or tax collectors. They're people that were uh, hated by their own, own culture. Um, he's got a, a cross section here in the audience. And he has an opportunity to share a story. And this story is meant to paint a picture of the character of God, the heart of God. And I believe the security that you find in your salvation, in your relationship with God. So look at verse 11. It says, Jesus continued, because he's told two stories already and he's going on for a third. It says, there was a man who had two sons. Let's stop right there for just a minute. How many of you in your Bible 
You have a little title to this section that says like the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. How many of you have something like that in your Bible? Right, mine has that too. The problem with that is, and we're gonna look at the son here, but the problem is it makes it sound like the whole point of this story is really about the son, but Jesus is telling the story here and he starts out with saying, there was a man who had two sons. From Jesus' perspective, this is a story about a father. This is really a story about a man who had two sons. This is really a story about a father. And there's insightful things about the two sons as well. But I believe that Jesus really wanted us to get a good picture of the father. And so the father in this story is meant to give us a good picture of our heavenly father. And I think we're supposed to see ourselves in, in the son either of the sons that are in this story. So it says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And at this moment, the younger son, for whatever reason, comes to the father and says, I want what you owe me. I want my inheritance. In other words, I want something from you instead of a relationship with you. Can you imagine the pain that the father must have felt in that moment to hear those words? I don't want a relationship with you, I just want what you can give me. That that would just feel so horrible as a father. Somebody came up afterwards, uh, after first service, and said something so true. They said, it's kinda like because the, the, the only way the son otherwise would have got the inheritance would have been when the father died. It's as if the son said, I would rather have you dead. Can you imagine that? And yet the father in this moment gives him the inheritance. And the father had to know that the next days to come, weeks to come, months to come, were, were gonna be uh, pretty rough for the son. He knew that the the spiral downward that was going to take place was going to be pretty severe, and yet the father allows the son to make that choice anyway. And so it is with us, with our heavenly father. We, We are definitely his son, but there comes a moment where a lot of us choose between fellowship and relationship, and then there's a difference. Once you step into a relationship with God, you're always his son and always his daughter. That's not gonna change. Your fellowship with him may change, but your relationship that you are related never will. And so in in the beauty of of God's sovereignty, he goes, you know what, I'm just gonna allow you to make your own choices. You're still my son, you're still my daughter, And I know that this road is not gonna lead to something good, but I'm gonna allow you to go take this this course. I give you the the choice to follow me or not. And so you, you can take this course if you want to. Was this kid still the son of the father? You bet. But he's making some poor choices. Verse 13, it says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. 
We don't know what the initial allure or temptation was of the different distant country. I, I don't know if the, the younger son got a brochure. Wow, distant country, this looks amazing. Look at her, that's reason to go right there. And he's like, I, I gotta get all the money, and he went out. I don't know if friends had spent some time in the distant country and they came back and they said, you are missing it. What you're doing is incredibly boring and safe and ridiculous. You need to come over here with us because it's happening over here and you're gonna be so happy that you did. We don't know. But he got tempted and drawn away to this distant country. He gets there and then in a short time blows everything he has in wild living. He squanders it all. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. As is the case a lot of times in sin, there's something attractive about it, you get lured away, you get involved in it, and it's fine for a while, and then it's all downhill. Something unexpected happens, and this is not what you planned, this is not what you hoped for, this is not the way you thought it was gonna pan out, and suddenly here you are, and everything is, the, the wheels have come off. And that's what's taken place for this young man. He takes off and he wasn't expecting after he's lost all his money then for a famine to hit. Now he's got no food, no way to make a living. The party is over. And here he is stuck. He's hanging out with pigs. And he's looking at what they're eating and going, man, that even looks good. And the pigs are like, don't touch, back off, this is all mine. And no servant, no employer, nobody will give him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. I love that phrase at the beginning of that paragraph, when he came to his senses. There there is a moment here where he snaps out of it. He has hit rock bottom. And you know that the father would have done anything he could to prevent his son from hitting rock bottom. You know that our father would desire that we never would hit rock bottom. And yet, the freedom of the choice that we have to live for him or not live for him, sometimes he knows that the only way that we're ever gonna come to our senses is if he allows sin to run its course, as he allows us to do the things that we we know we shouldn't be doing. But this guy, he hits rock bottom, and this is so cool. To me, when he comes to his senses, his first thought is, I gotta go back to dad. There was something that that was so powerful, that was seen or experienced or heard while he was growing up under the care of his father that he knew that even though he had fallen away, walked away, bailed on God, bailed on his father, that the best place for him to be was back with him. 
But he wasn't sure. Maybe if the father would take him back. He wasn't sure if the relationship was still intact or if it would, would be altered. But he's like, I, I don't care. I just need to get back to the father. So would the father take him? A lot of you maybe have been in situations similar where you've had that same nagging sin over and over again. You just can't seem to conquer it. Or you've had those one or two big ones that you go, surely there's no way he would take me back. And it causes all sorts of doubts and questions. And so what happens? He sets out to go to his father and he's practicing his speech along the way. He's like, I gotta get back to my father. So, okay, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Ooh, that's good. He'll like that. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son, so just make me a servant. Sinned against heaven, sinned against you, no longer worthy to be called your son, just make me a servant. And he's walking along, practicing the speech. Halfway through verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with hatred for him. No. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with condemnation. No. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just, just make me a servant. Meanwhile, I don't know if the, the dad lived up on a hill or whatever, but it says while he was a long way off, and this, the father that he is Checking this out is indication to me that he's probably been coming out daily, weekly, just to check. On the off chance, is he coming back today? How many days do you think the father was out there just looking down the road longing to see his son coming back? And so on this particular day, he comes out and he looks down the road and sure enough, whoa, there he is. And now he's gonna go in a full-on old man sprint down for his son but they wear robes back then. You can't run in a robe, and so he's got to hike it up and expose ugly old man legs, and he is full-on sprinting, and the son is, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you, no longer worthy, and then boom, and the father is full-on embrace, hug, kissing, and the son's still trying to get the speech out, right? He's still like, well, I've sinned against you and heaven, and well, dad, come on, what are you doing? And the, the dad is just like, shut up, you're back. You were lost, and now you're found. Let's celebrate. Yeah, but I, I walked away from you. I told you I didn't want anything to do with you. I just wanted your stuff. Who cares? You're home. 
you are still my son. My hope and prayer is that in your most deep, darkest moments of doubt, that that image of the Father that you see in this story would be spot-wielded on your memory. You are that secure. I think Peter in Scripture, I think Peter knew this, and Judas didn't. That at crunch time, they both betray Jesus. And yet Peter, after denying even knowing Christ publicly, he comes back to Jesus. He comes back to God. And Jesus not only forgives him, he, he uses Peter to build the church. If that's not a picture of security and relationship with the Father, I, I don't know what is. It's hard for us to judge, though. You look at somebody on the outside and you go, man, I, I think that they were a believer. One, that's just hard to judge. That's not our job to judge. And two, when you think that somebody was a Christian and then they're clearly living a way that you're like, man, certainly that person has to have lost their salvation. Certainly they've had to lose their, all their cards. It's such a slippery slope to do that. One, because it's not our job. It's only God's job to judge that. And two, is that what if... What if you're watching somebody that's like the prodigal and they're in their prodigal season? Well, they're still a son, they're still a daughter, but they're out of fellowship, but they're not out of the relationship. Or what if you look at somebody and you go, no, they're totally fine. Um, there's passages in scripture in Matthew where Jesus looks at a group of people that were pretty religious and he just, they're, they're coming and he goes, hey, wait, there's gonna be a moment where some of you are gonna come to me and I'm gonna have to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And they go, no, no, wait a minute. We've done miracles and we've taught and prophesied in your name and we did all the right stuff. And he just, no, we, I never knew you. And so it's very hard to judge someone's salvation based on the outward appearance. It's best we just leave that to the Lord. Some of you, I think maybe when you hear how incredibly secure you are in your relationship with the Father, if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're, you are so secure. I think some people hear that and that soaks in and they go, okay, maybe now for the first time I can really serve him passionately out of love instead of fear. It's such a different thing to be in a relationship with God so scared that at any given moment, he's gonna kick you out of the club. I mean, isn't that exhausting? And so here, here we've got this amazing amount of God that goes, you can't outrun my grace. 
You can't outrun my mercy. This is the mystery and the power and the hugeness of the love that I have for you. And then maybe some other people hear that and they go, okay, well, then I just got the free pass to go do whatever I want. Because I'm a son, I'm a daughter. Now I can go sin like crazy. And Paul knew that that would be a response we would all have. That's what he said in Romans. Well, should, should I just keep on sinning then so grace can abound? And he goes, by no means, that's not you. You have died to sin. You were made for something different and something better. And, and sinning is a huge deal. It damages your fellowship with God. And then it yeah, just spills out into every other area of your life. You, you will suffer if you, if you sin that way. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. You move to the right in your Bible just a little bit. Hebrews chapter 12 you get this amazing reminder that the Lord disciplines those he loves and that he punishes those that he accepts as sons or daughters. Verse seven, it says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and have, we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. If you have a relationship with the Father, if you are a son or daughter of His, and you choose to have a prodigal season, you choose to go your own way and just use it as a free pass, I, I don't want to be you. Because you just got word from the Lord that there's going to be consequences and that he disciplines those that are his. And so do not take it lightly. Do not consider it a free pass. You just go and do whatever you want. You were made for something better and something more. And it will not turn out the way that you think it will. And so if you have not got to this point, then, then don't do it. But if you have wandered away, and there has been a question of whether you could ever come back, please hear these next words and, and take them as the words of God. Come home. Come home. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that we have been saved by grace through faith, it's not of works, it's not from yourselves so that no one can boast. If you didn't do anything to gain your salvation, how could you do anything to lose it? You haven't. The Father is madly in love with you today. 
If you are tight with him today, fantastic. Stay that way. If you are not, if you have never stepped into a relationship with the Father, you're not a son or daughter of his yet, but you can be today, no matter what you've done. Those of you that do have a relationship with Jesus and have wandered away, you have not lost the sonship or daughtership that he gave you when you stepped into that relationship. So come home. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that we are so secure in you. Just thank you that you extend your grace and mercy farther than I, I could possibly imagine, that it just has no end. And that the only thing that we could do to distance ourselves from you is just to believe that there is another means of salvation for us. but there isn't. And so Father, would you draw those here in this room who maybe never have stepped into a relationship with you into one here in this place, that what takes place in the sincerity of their hearts in this moment would lock in this eternal relationship. For those that maybe have been wandering, I ask that you would allow them to come to their senses and that they would look up and see you already in a full sprint to embrace them. With your eyes closed and heads bowed, I've asked Seth here to do this song that is a favorite for both of us. And it recounts the story of the prodigal son. We're gonna take our morning's tithes and offerings. I challenge you to sit, to stand, but just to open yourselves up to the embrace of God that is going nowhere. It is ever present. It is here right now and always, always will be. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name.